welcome back to Service Sharp. This is Jason Gibson. We are on podcast three of our series, uh, What is Required to be Successful with ServiceNow? Uh, we're going to be covering people and staff and the framework and all kinds of fun stuff. With me today is Randy Haas, you always be with, which all of you know. And then also with us is an expert in the field of ServiceNow, Justin. Uh, he is an amazing developer. Justin, introduce yourself. Thank you, Jason. Uh, my name is Justin Claspo. I've been working in ServiceNow since around 2015. The, uh, we were on Eureka and we upgraded to Fuji. That was my first experience with it. I've uh, been doing development for much longer than that, mostly C Sharp, PHP, and PowerShell. Uh, but now I also have plenty of JavaScript, of course, during that period. So that's mainly what I use in ServiceNow with, uh, with some PowerShell as well. All right. Randy, quick introduction. Yeah, Randy Haas. Uh, been here for the last several podcasts, obviously. Uh, I My experience with ServiceNow is more from a management experience, so I've managed people that work with ServiceNow. Uh, I have done some of the training and, and things like that, but I'm much better at, at telling people what to do than I am at actually doing it. <laughs> well, I can attest to that. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're the first topic we're going to talk about is near and dear to my heart, and I think we always see organizations screw this up royally. Um, and it's Don't talking about you. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's the people, the people and the staff. What do you need to have for supporting your ServiceNow instance? Um, whether it's you know. Um, number of people, what, what do you think? What do you need to kind of support that environment? Uh, I mean, that's kind of a subjective question a little bit because it depends on what you're going for and how many modules you have and, and things like that. I think you definitely, when you're implementing something like ServiceNow, um, you want to plan on being able to either A, adequately staff it and do some research about uh, what it might take, or B, be prepared to partner with someone that is competent, um, which I emphasize that word, um, to staff, to help you with your staff augmentation. But at the minimum, I would say you need someone that is an administrator uh, and has good experience, and you need someone that knows some programming um, to be on the staff and also be able to call, you know, uh, bull on, on people who... Uh, on who uh, have crazy ideas about what can and cannot be done. Well, I think partly it goes back as well to your roadmap to what, what is that, you know, we, we talked about last time and have talked about multiple times is what is your roadmap? You know, where do you want to get to and to staff appropriately, you, you have to have somebody that knows the admin side, but I think no matter what organization you work with, you're going to need a dev guy, somebody that knows the, the ins and outs of the development side of it. Um, in your experience, Justin, what do you see as the important roles uh, when it comes to the dev side of it? You know, what do they need to, to have skill-wise? Well, a lot of that does depend on the module you're going for. If you're, if you're just wanting kind of an all-purpose guy or gal, you need a... Uh, heavy JavaScript experience and that just front end JavaScript uh, using different libraries like jQuery. Uh, if you're going to go the route of having a service portal uh, or like using the time 
uh, Time Worker Portal. That's technically a service portal as well. You need someone with uh, Angular JS, not Angular in general, like two, three, blah, blah. You need Angular JS uh, experience and CSS. Obviously, go you know HTML, CSS, JavaScript type type person would be the bare minimum, I think, for anyone. Uh, especially if you're going to try to do anything um, in the in a service portal. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that I will tell you that that definitely kicks me in the rear. Uh, I, I will. I've done it for for lots of different customers in the the Angular and Bootstrap, and I'm telling you, that just uh, that's that is very difficult programming for me for some reason. Uh, JavaScript, the standard JavaScript library, has always been um, simpler for me, but uh, valuable skills to have for sure. Yeah, Angular kind of goes more of a MVC approach, model view controller, uh, kind of blends a little bit of the con controller and model aspect there. But, uh, it's definitely different than just regular JavaScript that you would do uh, on the front end. But while you do, of course, still do some of that, uh, yeah, the, the actual Angular side of things can, it can take a little bit. It's far more object and data oriented than, uh, than what normal JavaScript is, even though it is a subset of, you know, it's just a library to it. Right. But, uh, one of the fun, one of the really fun things that, that we were able to do with the service portal is um, we had a, a customer that wanted a fully front end um, user portal that they can go out and fill out a request that is public. So they wanted it to be open for every individual user uh, but they also wanted it to every person, no matter who you are, you log, you go into the system, you don't have to log in, you fill out a form. And it was, it was a medical form that had, you know, PHI data in it. And so it was a very unique experience to be able to say, okay, we need a very public portal that anybody can go to that needs to save to an encrypted database. And ServiceNow was really good about, giving us the tools to be able to do that with the field encryption and, and things to that effect and making the, the portal public. But one of the things we had to do is we couldn't do a form in the portal. We had to actually create a, uh, an Angular and Bootstrap form, an, a front-end form that then passed the data into the database. Uh, so, and that was really neat that we were able to do that and the fact that ServiceNow has that capability. I don't think most people know about that. Yeah, probably not. There's a really good tool if you are going to do something like that for anyone who's thinking about it. The API Explorer, REST API Explorer, uh, can help you build all those out and give you sample code for the what you're trying to do in the front end. Uh, makes a great it a lot idea, easier. yeah. Uh, no security on it would be interesting, I would say, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, you could definitely do that. And that API Explorer, you can, any type of query or insert or update or delete anything you want to do, it will help you get the code and, you know, give you test data right there. And like I said, it'll also give you uh, the actual source code to get you started. Uh, it's really good stuff. Well, doesn't it, yeah. And it doesn't give you lots of different options, right? It gives you, you can, it can give you the code in JavaScript or, or uh, in PowerShell, right? There's several options. I can't remember what they all are. I think it's Java, JavaScript, PowerShell, and I, I don't remember, curl and something else. There's, there's several options in there for you to do it. That's great. And that will help people a lot, especially somebody who is 
a developer who's familiar with coding, but not necessarily familiar all the time with the way ServiceNow does things. Yeah, it's, there's almost all the, the ServiceNow libraries are, uh, are helpful in that effect. Once you learn where to go find them on the doc, the document website uh, and how to use them, uh, they really do simplify a lot of the, a lot of the things a regular everyday JavaScript guy would do. Uh, you know, like any, any sort, all the glide record stuff is, is making Ajax calls just be a million times easier, not just easier to write, but easier to read for the next right. person who comes along trying to figure out, you know, well, what was he doing here? Uh, yeah. You can see it's all right there. So yeah, there's a lot of things on the ServiceNow side that they've done to help even a seasoned programmer uh, make your life easier uh, or a contractor coming in to do something, you know, if, as long as they're making it through uh, through a glide script, glide record, you know, any of those type of things. I mean, they're all made the same way. So it's, it's a lot easier to figure out than someone who wrote their own by hand Ajax calls. Right. So, we definitely need somebody with that kind of skills uh, to be able to navigate and to be able to manage the system. And that would be your architect level or your developer level. Um, I would say more developer level. Now, the question next that I get all the time, and you guys can help me out with this, you know, my instincts are to say no flat out, but they are always asking me, can we implement our own stuff? I mean, ServiceNow is really just a database engine in, in this grand scheme of things, right? Relational database. If you wanted to make your own, in theory, you, you could make your own applications in it. Uh, if you're wanting to replicate what you have, I mean, not to, you know, not to say too much here, but I, I would definitely take the opportunity to see what ServiceNow could do for you without you right. trying to you know, reinvent the wheel type of thing. Because uh, there's so well, many built-in reports and security and everything that, I mean, almost anything you want to do can probably be done without a huge development effort. Right. Well, and the more development effort you do, the harder it's going to be to upgrade, the more difficult it's going to be all long term. But if you're talking about, let, let me say in the guise of doing implementations of different modules, you know, they come to me and say, we want to implement these six modules and we want to be able to do that uh, in-house. Um, what does that mean to you? And, and do you think that that's a good, a good plan or is it better to partner with another organization? I think, I think it means that they want to save money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> true. It, it's a cost benefit, you know, analysis where uh, many companies fail to see long-term benefit because they're only looking at the near-term cost. Um, so I would say that you need to do an inventory and assess the skills of the people that you're putting on the team. Like we were just, you guys were just discussing the different skills that are needed. It's not only that, but it's also, um, do you have practical experience with change management? Do, you know, do you, do you know how to make a process? Are you good at developing processes in-house? Um, do you have a process in place already? You know, I'd say if you have a process in place already and it's a great process, it's been working great on paper and what you're wanting to do is just take ServiceNow, uh, bring it in and um, replicate that process um, and you've got the right talent, then yeah, you could do it in-house. But odds are, in my experience, that you're going to need to bring in someone for some piece of it uh, in to really have a good successful implementation. And, and well, you should plus, probably, yeah, go ahead. 
Yeah, you should probably do that anyway, even if you think you're going to do it in-house, just because that, you know, whenever you do the actual business uh, analysis on the on your process that you think you have, just shoving it in service now, while that may work, like you said, you know, and, but you'll have to build everything out on your own. So how far are you from out of the box? Are you, yeah. are you a couple tweaks to the process or are you do, is it actually worth the effort to rebuild, you know, all the day, all the, uh, all the tables and the reports and, and security permissions and, you know, and all that jazz. Right. Uh, Plus sometimes it, you need somebody to tell you no. Right. I mean, there are times that you need somebody to say, listen, you're right. We could do it this way. And, but why do you want to do it this way? It, this is completely custom and it's going to take a lot of time to develop when we could do it this way, accomplish the same thing and keep it out of the box. And I find that that's where a lot of people who um, are developers, but don't understand service now, that they want to go straight to customizing it. Um, and so and I'll admit that's what I did the first time I loaded it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Yes, I don't is. know their libraries. So the first thing I do is, well, I'll just do it the way I've always done it. And you end up yeah. either a, it doesn't work and you spend far more time figuring out why it didn't work. Uh, or B you make it. And then you realize later that, Oh, Hey, I could have, that's two lines of code. If I use ServiceNow's library versus what took me 30. Right. Yeah. Let me and let me clarify my statement. I was being facetious. Uh, basically, I'm saying that if you are confident that you have an expert in every aspect of of, of the implementation and, and the process, then yeah, do it in house. But almost no one has all the required skills in house to implement well, I, something like ServiceNow. Yeah, and so how many times have we seen somebody go in and do an implementation, and especially in house? where it's we've turned around and it's not working the way they wanted. It's not really fitting their organization. And, and you come in and you say, okay, this half of this is broke. And the person who did all the dev work on it is no longer with that organization. And, and there's no, uh, and we're starting over and redoing what somebody else already did. And, and so bringing in an expert, that understands each area of service now is I think extremely valuable on top of the fact that yes, they can do the development quicker and easier than somebody that does, you know, other stuff or admin work or um, I can't tell you how many organizations that I've, 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 uh, I've had conversations with that they have one guy and he's an admin, he's a developer, he's a, he's the, the do it all, you know, guy. And it's the guy that didn't intend to go to service now, but they didn't have anybody else. So that's what he's doing. Yeah. And he may be a good developer, but not even really understand the platform. There's, there's kind of a, when it comes to selling and supporting, there's kind of a curse with good design in that uh, good design makes everything look very easy, but then when everything looks very easy, people underestimate what is actually required to keep it running and looking easy. And that chronically happens, I think, with ServiceNow. And I, I would say that, you know, larger companies that have in-house teams or people and they're willing to send a training and things like that, they may actually have 
many or all of the capabilities um, in-house to pull off something. But my recommendation would always still be to bring someone in to validate the plan at the very least, to validate the roadmap, to do what Justin was saying earlier about, you know, um, yeah, that looks good and, and that sounds great, but we already do 90% of this out of the box. So do you really need to have this extra 10%? Uh, because that can save you quite a bit of money in the long run. And to add to that, you also have things like, you know, in, a lot of people use incident, you know, ITSM and all that, right? All right, Tom as well. Uh, mm -hmm. Let's say incident. Well, I mean, you might actually be wanting to use case management. That might actually be more what you're actually trying to do. And you've just been shoving it in to, in you were going to shove it into incident. Uh, <laughs> right. So if you have somebody that can review what you're trying to do before you do, uh, like an implementation specialist, there's, there's so many modules to service yeah. now. It's, it's almost impossible to keep up. Uh, especially on well, your own. And, and, who, and, and hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I've always said, ServiceNow, nobody knows it all. <laughs> you, can be, you can be good, but nobody, nobody knows every piece of ServiceNow and is proficient at every piece of ServiceNow. Um, I mean, that know, could be Yeah, so, um, you know, talk about what we have as an organization and where you want to go, you may not be able to adjust though as quickly as you want with staffing needs. One of the things I think that is important moving forward is understanding that you need somebody in house, but if you need to staff up, there are resources out there. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, it makes sense to, to hire out and hire a company that is not only good at doing the implementation, but is also good at training people. So especially if your goal long-term is to do all your support in-house. So we're going to take a quick break um, and go uh, pay the bills and have a little bit of a commercial break here. We'll be back in just a minute. All right. We are back with Service Sharp. We are um, on podcast number three, and uh, we're talking about what is required to be successful with ServiceNow. And uh, right now, we are talking about the basic framework and uh, what you need as far as people and staff. So, uh, basic framework, ITIL is the basis behind what ServiceNow is. But how much of that is really important? Well, ITIL itself is, it's a framework. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people that are dogmatic about it where it's like ITIL says this, so we're going to do it this way. But the actual, in my opinion, intent of ITIL and the way it's practiced in most companies is this is a list of things that you need to think about if you, and, and make decisions on if you want to have great customer service. So in other words, you know, if you want to have great customer service then you don't want the network to go down, well, what's one of the biggest things that you can do to keep the network from going down, keep people from just randomly changing things without any documentation. So that's why ITIL is good because it prescribes a change management methodology and um, the design behind that is to keep things running uh, as much as possible. And the same thing with incident management and problem management and things like that. So I think it's very important to understand ITIL. I think it's very important to um, study it and to know about it and to give your team to have at least a basic understanding of ITIL. Uh, but it's also very important to know that it is um, 
it's a framework and you need to be prepared to think critically about it and how does this apply best inside my organization. Yeah, it's not it's not rules or guidelines. Right. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Well, even in their training, so when you're going along through it, I mean, their their official documentation mentions that they you will not use this verbatim. You know, it will right. you will adjust this to your company's you know what parts your company can use. Yeah. Especially with V4, I, I don't remember the training of V3 if it added in there or not, but V4 specifically calls out these are guidelines. We're giving you basic examples. You know, follow the process that we're helping you understand yeah just picking it up and reading it and going with it is the equivalent of sending out a contract to be signed where everything says insert your name here instead of <laughs> you know actually, actually content or you know customizing it <laughs> well and i think that's where ServiceNow is so good but also can be dangerous it's the same it's you have this out of the box and we need to stick with this out of the box mentality, which is really where we need to be. But with that, we need to define what a configuration is, what a customization is, and we need to be able to be willing to make those changes to fit the business purpose of the organization and, and not have it be perfectly out of the box, but make reasonable adjustments, reasonable changes. Um, have you seen anywhere where people have not done that, have done gone crazy or um, <laughs> I'd never, never, right? Yeah. Is that a serious question? Yeah. No, not really. <laughs> and I think people do misunderstand what out the out of, oh my goodness, the out of the box mentality means, yeah. uh, you know, it's, a, it's really just, only make the changes you have to make, right? It's not right. don't make any changes. It's just think right. through your change before you go and just throw a new field. You know, it may not sound like a lot, but you throw a hundred fields on something, you're going to see a performance impact. Yeah. Right. It's kind of like when you visit a national park and the idea is to go into it and enjoy it, but to make as minimal of an impact on the environment as possible. You're going to make some impact on it, but you want to make the minimal impact. And that's kind of the thing going into service now is, um, you know, it's a, gigantic um, framework that allows you or platform that allows you to do so many different things, but it is designed, believe it or not, not for your organization. When they wrote it, they didn't sit down and go company XYZ is going to do this. So we're going to do this. So if your company does everything exactly how ServiceNow, um, you know, envisioned it or the assumptions that they made when they started building it, then you can use it completely out of the box. But again, it's kind of like the whole template, the contract thing. Uh, there's places where you've got to insert your name. Right. Exactly. Well, and one of the things that I see that I, that I think is important is building the business case around the change. You know, there are some changes that are configurations that are simple, easy to do. Do we want to, you know, in, in building the business, why do we need that? Because if we don't need it, then don't, why do it, right? So if the organization has that need, uh, and again, it's important to have somebody to be able to say, no, that's not probably a good idea. That's going to impact performance or that's going to cause you to delay your upgrades by, you know, 10% or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's important to understand the impact and make whatever adjustments you need to make with uh, a little bit. Um, of cautiousness. Yeah, I like that. Um, 
I like that having to justify each thing because uh, you know in the long run there may be a complete um, a, a completely valid long term profit making or bottom line saving change that is a gigantic change to service now um, so I think that the, the you know the problem is generalities are dangerous and so you shouldn't say out of the box it's going to be out of the box it's got to stay out of the box without actually knowing what you're talking about and b you shouldn't say we're going to customize everything without actually knowing what you're talking about you need to evaluate each one of those things um as it comes along yeah. Yeah. All, all it's doing is storing data. So when you're thinking of the of what you're wanting to add, don't just think I want this report. You got to think of well, what are all the data sets that make your report? You know what I mean? Like kind of kind of try to think of it almost more as a, as data and, or cells in an Excel, you know, columns and rows. Mm-hmm. Try to try to think of it from that aspect instead of just saying, well, you know, I just want to report that, you know, I want a bubble chart. Yeah. Okay. I mean, that's nice, but what do you? What's the data representing in that bubble chart? Yeah, and then and put you your processes to the test too. You know, I always say if you can't do it on paper, then you can't automate it. <laughs> so, right. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Well, and and it's important, I think, to 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 make sure that we are understanding where to put things. Like, you know, uh, it's important to know. Well, I want this field on the task table. Well, why do we need it on the task table? Because that, but that that's a huge thing. If you only need it on internet, let's put it on internet. And knowing and having that kind of knowledge of what should go where with what you're trying to accomplish um, is important. So if you don't have that institutional knowledge in your organization, don't just go monkeying around with it. Find somebody that has that 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 knowledge and uh, and, and get it. Yeah. Yeah, an extra set of eyes never hurts, right? Right. So yeah. the, the last high, the the last topic is I'm sure this will be a short uh, short one uh, <laughs> is the expandability of ServiceNow. I think it's important to understand what to expand and 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 how. I will say that most contracts with ServiceNow, I've dealt with several, with but m- most of the contracts with ServiceNow they have a provision, and the provision basically says that you can't build anything that they have a module for. Uh, that's the intent of it. So uh, if they you, they don't want you building HR um, case management system on top of HR case management or on top of ServiceNow when they have HR case management. So you have to be selective in the in in the full um, expanding expandability. So if you decide I want to do capital budgeting, you know, well, capital budgeting probably okay, and small use cases are okay. But just be careful that you don't build something that already exists. And um, for a couple reasons, one, it's not really going to save you any money. They've spent thousands of hours developing this stuff, and they've got that cost broken up between thousands and thousands of customers. So you're really not going to save anything. You're going to miss functionality. There's not going to be, so you're not going to be able to build exactly what they have yourself. Plus the cost to support it long-term would be immense. So always look first to what they have and they provide and they can offer before you start looking at building an application. With that being said, 
you can build applications and there's lots of reasons and we've built lots of them for people because they can give you amazing additional capabilities. Um, Randy, Justin, do you have some examples of the kinds of things that you've been able to do for people uh, in order to expand things out a little bit? Well, real quick, I do want to point out one thing. If you're listening and you're on Madrid or after, make sure you really read your license agreement because the subscriptions for custom tables now have a price to them, depending on how they're used. Uh, so you may actually still be paying a decent chunk of money uh, every year for renewals on those custom tables. So that your Madrid or past and you've, and you've re-signed your, your contract, definitely have a look at it because they've changed the way that table licensing is now uh, going through. So, but as to your question, uh, a lot of AD integrations, uh, the one of the ones I, I did for uh, he sh who shall not be named is a PowerShell script that would uh, automatically disable an account at the you know every Friday or Thursday or whatever day of the week they wanted. Uh, we would run a, a query to their AD, pull the people who had tickets open for them. It would run through approvals. Once they uh, once they had approved that the person should be gone, it would then move all of their uh, create a file and you know have all their groups members who was who, who were their subordinates, uh, and then it would disable their account and move it to another OU. Uh, that was one thing that I mean, ServiceNow can handle a lot of that uh, with just a regular orchestration license. You have workflow that can do most of that in AD anyway. It, I don't think it can do anything with OUs, but it may be able to don't quote me on that uh, out of the box but uh right yeah the adding the powershell to it made uh, you know made that process it was a manual process every every whatever day of the week it was for them to to get you know to turn people which right place with high turnover uh i mean that's a lot of a lot of work for somebody to have to go through and update a ticket and then also disable that account which could lead to you know all it, human error you know takes one person missing it and now that person still has an active account Right. Well, that's, that's actually great. Yeah. So that, that allows them to be able to have greater insight also into the frequency of things being people being, I guess, let go as well. I'm sure the reporting side of that in service would be pretty good. Yeah. You can see who's, you know, who's, who's uh, what group is maybe taking longer to do an approval. Do they not hit it by whatever deadline the person left? Right. Or how long, you know, there's all sorts of metrics you can get you know, just because of, you know, the default fields that are included in a, in an incident or request, right. you know, lots of, lots of data there to make a report off of. Right. Right. Well, and we've also done, um, and, and Justin, you were involved in this project as well, but like the, we did the uh, reimbursement center. Mm -hmm. um, and that was uh, a application similar to what you would think of as uh, Concur has, um, and so that was that was a lot of fun. We did uh, capital budget together. So, uh, if anybody didn't know, he he's always he has been my mentor for a lot of years. Um, okay, I feel old now. But yeah, so it, there are so many different things you can do. Um, if you can think about it or you can dream it, if you would, you can build it. Um, do you think everything can be built in service now? I mean, it really just depends on, I, I would say yes. And that's uh, with an asterisk beside it, you know, because there's, especially using the studio, which helps, uh, 
helps you, you know, you can use Git with that if you're familiar with Git anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, so you could actually have multiple people working on it. You could have, you could have true development inside of ServiceNow very easily if you had the people right. for it. Um, and you aren't required to, the only thing, I mean, you're technically not even required to use their data storage. You could just have a page that calls AWS or Azure or you know, whatever other third party you want. If, if that's what you wanted, you'd be spending right. a lot of money for very, you know, an odd way to do it, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Service now is kind of like, you know, it's it's big, it's vast, there's a lot you can do with it, but it's kind of like the what Spider-Man with great power comes great responsibility. I think, you know, if you're going to sit down and do something and it feels like, hey, we're designing an entire app from scratch, then maybe you ought to take a step back and really analyze why you're doing it and, and what the capabilities yeah. are. Um, but yeah, you can certainly design a lot of things, but, you know, there's a right tool um, for everything. Um, you know, I, I use my hammer for just about everything at home, but it's not the right tool and it leaves a mess a lot of times. Um, you know, sometimes uh, there's some things that are finesse that you need to do. So um, ServiceNow is great. I, I wouldn't say it is the end all be all for every situation, but you can definitely build a lot in it. Yeah, I mean, it's it kind of it's kind of like you can do anything with it. It doesn't necessarily mean you should do anything with it. Yeah, yeah, because as I said earlier, it really just is a relational database. So, I mean, if you wanted to go crazy, you could. But you know, as Randy and you, I mean, we all agree, you, you definitely it's not it should not be used for everything unless you have a, uh, some sort of requirement that I'm not aware of. Uh, and, and unlimited money. Yeah. And if you have unlimited money, I'd like to tell you about the Sharpstone Group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> We'd love to have you as a client. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. You, you know, it's funny because uh, the the I was uh, with an organization uh, a long time ago that I was talking to them, and and they wanted to create a uh, network access control using ServiceNow, and we did it. We created a, a, a network access control with it uh, and, you know, check compliance and built the whole process around it. Um, but was that the right place for it? I don't know. You know, it was at the time the only way that it could be reasonably done because it was, you know, government agency. <laughs> so, of course, they don't have any money, right? Um that was facetious, by the way. Uh, but yeah, so, they have a lot of my money. Yeah, yeah, no. they got a lot of my do. Yeah, yeah, um, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen some th examples of things not to do that. You know, I've we've seen people that try to build add-ons to circumvent um, things that already exist, like submitting a ticket. Um, you know, from from a a different venue and it's like, why would you spend the time and effort to build that when it's literally like one of the primary functions of the, of the software? Yeah. yeah they, didn't they spend like hundreds of hours to, to develop all this and go through approvals and get this all done. And then, and then one of our, uh, one of our service now developers built it in like five minutes. <laughs> it's like really <laughs> you know yeah so there is there is a time and a place for everything and and i think it boils down to getting good data about why you want to do something and making sure that there is a right fit inside service now and that you have the correct capabilities whether internally 
or bringing in external resources to do it really well and um and and make sure that it's that it gets done in a timely manner i mean i can't tell you how many times we've had projects uh that we've come on to that they've been trying to do something for a year you know and it's like well you know probably shouldn't make that time but they didn't want to spend the resources at the time to do it so they because they didn't have the resources they didn't have the know-how they didn't have the knowledge it was just taking forever um and so it's important to be able to say okay i don't have those resources i need to get those resources how do i do that you know oh i need to find somebody that can partner with me to get this done uh, and don't be um prideful in the fact that sometimes we need help we can't all do everything yeah and yeah. kind of a bit random here but i wanted to throw it out before i forget it if you are a developer working in service now or even just an admin because there's plenty you can do as well please make a copy before you go editing <laughs> something examples would be like any workflow before you edit a out-of-the-box workflow please make a copy and edit the copy or, yeah. the, or if you want to edit the main one that's fine just make a copy of it somewhere so if later down the line you know you, you need to uh, revert back for an upgrade or maybe the whole process changed but you can't figure out this you know, huge mess. Edit the copy. Edit the copy. Yeah, that, that, that way, way we're going to go smoother. At the very least, make one, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because every business rule, everything that's being done, you know, if you start changing that stuff, you own it. And if, if you leave it out of the box and create a new one that is a copy, sometimes it just makes things a lot cleaner when you start trying to look at upgrades. And it makes it easier to roll back if something completely breaks. Uh, and I'd say that if you're managing a team, then get to know what their practices are and learn enough about ServiceNow to be able to tell what people are doing because uh, people leave <laughs> either voluntarily or involuntarily. And uh, uh, if they haven't been doing that, then you've got some expense coming up to, uh, to fix things. Basically need to do a hit by the bus test, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and if you if you're a lead or an architect, make sure they're commenting their code. What does that even it, mean? <laughs> I wonder is is this something he's just preaching or practicing? I don't know. We're gonna have to, spot, we're gonna have to go in and spot check his stuff, and if he's not practicing it, we're gonna have to publicly humiliate him at the next podcast. Yeah, yeah, yes. It is. Uh, it. I absolutely do it. Uh, I don't always do it perfectly, but uh, I know that Justin here he comments a lot better than I do. I will admit that, but it is important to be able to understand what you're doing in, in whatever place you're doing it. And I didn't understand the value of it when I was first started in development. Uh, it took working for an organization that was like the third customer of ServiceNow, that everything was changed and nobody knew what the heck anybody did <laughs> because well, nobody I commented anything. And so I learned pretty quickly that that might be something that you need to do. <laughs> 
And a lot of young programmers are just people who are starting out. They don't, uh, you know, you're taught in college or whatever course you took, but you're commenting and they usually say you're commenting for if someone else has to look at your code. I, I don't comment for you. I comment for me. Yeah. <laughs> six months when I go back, I need to know. I mean, I'll, I will not even remember I typed those words in six months. There's so many things you do for a period of time. If, if you got six months, you're doing good. I, I mean, I sometimes six minutes. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's I, I old age, Randy. That's and I come back old age. And Where was I? <laughs> you know, no, I would no, say that. If you if you don't want to work, you know, if you're worried about breaking the flow of doing the work and stuff like that, then create a text expander or something like that that you can hit that just at least marks it and says, you know, fill in comment and then you can go back later and do a search for that and start filling it out to remember that, you know, this is where I made changes. Cause it's, I mean, at the very least, then someone can search and know exactly where the changes were made at. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it is. Uh, and I, and I hear the frustrating part. I don't know how many years Justin kept yelling at me. <laughs> How many years have we known each other? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's you about the same, I'm going to guess. <laughs> yeah, it's about the same. So uh, thank you, Justin. That finally got into my head. It just took a while, you know. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so it's important. Comment. Make sure that your code is, 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 is doing good. Um, constantly learn more. I, will fi- I found that. I was building code and then I would send it to somebody to review it named Justin. Uh, and he would turn around and do the same code uh, in about five lines. And I did like a hundred lines. So you can compress the code. You can get better at that. And that taught me to do things a little differently to get better at what I was doing. So if you have a mentor like that or somebody that can, can help you, progress in your career, learn how to do it quicker, learn how to do it with less lines of code, um, and utilize them, beg them, plead them, pay them money, whatever it takes, because that will be a value to you throughout your entire career. Yeah, I agree. I do too. I think that there's always value in having a, a learning mindset. I'd say that at the, the final thing about coming in and doing service now is that we're happy to come in after the fact and fix what people have done. Um, but it always like with any project, it's better to start with a solid plan at the beginning. And so the earlier you bring people in, um, to either a help you assess your capabilities and how many people that you have that can do the work or be trained to do the work or, um, to validate your roadmap, the more, um, return you're going to get out of your investment. And the longer you wait to, um, you know, to make that decision, the potentially the more money you've lost as you, as you go forward. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Proper planning produces results, right? Yeah. That's it. That's it. We got to make sure we're doing it. An improper planning. How many? I'll just be frank. Improper planning makes consultants a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) yes sir it does and and that's a part i like kind of but i'd much rather see people do things well and 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 their business do very well um to make money off their mistakes one of the things that i've seen you do 
that is above and beyond and that a lot of people don't do is that initial conversation about what are you trying to accomplish? Do you even want service now? Before you even purchase it in your organization, that conversation about does this fit in our organization, not just buying it because it's the newest, most popular thing, but because it really will work and help you in your organization and help gain those roadmaps early on. And that that is invaluable. There's nothing better than starting off with a roadmap ready to go, know what your capabilities are, know how long everything's going to take. And to do that before you implement ServiceNow, that's the way to go. Yeah, I agree. Don't, <laughs> uh, don't, start the, don't start the journey unless you know where you're going if you don't want to waste gas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And, I, and I've seen you have that kind of uh, the, the organization. I've seen you kind of have some of those that they, they don't know where they're going or what they're doing and straightening them out is, is really important. Yeah. Um, well, you know, on that, the number one key to success in service now in life, in projects and anywhere is to check your pride at the door. Um, because, you know, if you, if you go into any endeavor thinking you are the absolute end all be all and know everything that needs to be done to get everywhere you want to go, then you're setting yourself up to fall off a cliff. Yeah. And it yeah. is 100% repeatable, you know, but it's one of the, one of the lessons that, that humanity seems to never learn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very true. We, we tend to repeat our mistakes, don't we? So, so, so it, it's kind of a recap. Um, we we reviewed what is required to be successful with service. Now we talked about the vision, uh, roadmapping, leadership. What each of the areas of leadership means. Check out the other podcasts; they're really great. Um, we talked about empowerment, um, empowering your people, and we talked about enforcement mechanisms of of what to be enforced and how. And of course, today we talked about people staffing, you know, basic framework stuff and a lot of, you know, other tidbits for you. Uh, so I really enjoyed the series. I hope that uh, that you guys learned something. Um, and Justin, uh, thank you for being here. Randy, thank you for being here. Um, we will be back with another episode next I got, week. I got one final thing to say. And since we're talking right. about people in this, I just want to say yeah. this. Invest in your people. They are the number one resource your company has and will ever have. Invest in your people. That's the most important thing you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. As someone who works, right, I fully agree with that statement. <laughs> I resemble that remark. Yes. Yeah. So, fantastic. So we're, when we come uh, next time, when we come back, we're going to be talking about uh, more ServiceNow stuff. We're going to be talking about uh, ServiceNow performance, uh, things about uh, what are the factors for performance, how to get better performance and uh, how to troubleshoot your performance. So that'll be a fun one. And hopefully we can uh, move forward and, and uh, have some fun. So, Again, thank everybody for joining, and uh, please send us some uh, messages. Our LinkedIn's are on there, 
Um, and so we, we'd love to hear from you guys. Direct all complaints to Jason and all compliments to me or Justin. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes thank you yeah. for having me, guys. Thanks, thank Jason. You. Thank you, Justin. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>